Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales letter looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. Alrighty, welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast and a very special welcome to Mr. Jason Mark Campbell, all the way from Bali. How are you, my friend? Hey, Darren. Yeah, good to see you. Doing fantastic. I mean, you just said it. I'm in Bali. How could you not be doing well if you're in Bali, right? <laughs> well, absolutely. And we were just talking before we press record about the temperature over there. And I think you said it's been raining, but still about 30 degrees. Yeah. Where I'm recording this from in Melbourne, uh, we're about to be hit with a massive rain bomb tomorrow. There's something like 100 mils of rain. And it's about 11 degrees Celsius. See... Rain is okay when it's 30 outside. And so like, you'll be like, oh, look at this refreshing rain. But what you're talking about is just damp. That's not fun. <laughs> yeah. And because of the because of the temperatures, it's probably not going to evaporate as quickly as perhaps it would mm. if it was 30 degrees Celsius. And it's not like we need any more rain because all of our dams are completely overflowing anyway. Well, that, that'd be one thing about here in Bali is like uh, this weekend, we actually had some pretty big rainfall and we're in the raining season. So you have always these, uh, these accounts on the news, they show like some little districts will be like, I don't know, call it a meter of water across the whole area. And then somebody will bring out a boat and they'll just start kayaking on the, on the street. And then, you know, they'll get a little TikTok famous for a few hours. <laughs> but, uh, <coughs> yeah. Nice. It's, 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 it gets pretty floody here. Uh, and so the plumbing needs to be done right. And um, yeah, we'll get flash rains, but then it dries yeah. up quickly, as you said. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So touch wood, it doesn't actually happen as bad as I say it's going to be. So, uh, hey, mate, thanks for um, thanks for joining. I know it's uh, early in the, earlier in the morning because there's a bit of a time difference between Australia and Bali right now. So I do appreciate you jumping on. Uh, love to have a conversation with you about sales. And if we can, we'll talk about your book because I know you're an author. You're also, for the listeners, a podcaster. So we are like kindred spirits, if you like. <laughs> Same spirit animal, at least. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Uh, but before we delve into that, love for you to give the listeners a bit of a, I guess, a synopsis or the Reader's Digest version of uh, a little bit about, about your background and what has led you into the world of sales. Yeah. So I think where I would take this for benefit of the audience as well, I like to keep it short to the point, but you know how they say you often like end up in sales by accident, right? Like, yeah. or, or it's like, you, you had a career plan that might not have worked out. So you ended up in sales. And some people take that as a kind of a negative type of vibe getting into it. But for me, it actually came as a, a strange opportunity when I was about to graduate from business school. So uh, I was starting in Canada trying to figure out what do I want to do once I graduate and going to like the, some sort of career fair that was happening near graduation point. I was looking at these management trainee program. Like that was, that was your two choices being from Ottawa candidates. Either I'd find some management trainee program with some private organization, or I'd be joining the government. And, uh, and then you'd get, you know, the, you, you make a steady salary, got all the benefits, and then you got a retirement plan, which is the most sexy and appealing thing for Canadians. <laughs> um, Listen, I, I've done internships and it was actually quite fascinating because I was talking about careers, financing, kind of just having a powwow with my girlfriend. And she, I've always been in jobs that I really, really enjoy. And she asked me, like, have you ever had a job that you dreaded? And I was I, I was thinking, I was like, I, I don't think so. And then, oh, no, wait, it came back. My internships in the government. That was terrible. <laughs> in Canada. 
listen, they paid well. Um, but I like, there's one thing that really pisses me off and it's waste. Like yeah. I was that kid, you know, when spring came and the snow would melt and like, you'd see water would start flowing down on like, uh, the backyard of my home. Like I'd be that kid with the rubber boots and a, and a little shovel. And I try to make the water flow as efficiency as possible. Cause it would make yeah. summer come faster. That that's, that's how I was thinking. So I worked on some incredible projects with incredible people and I know they're doing their best, but there's so many things that have to be in place and so many considerations that need to happen that you can't have that kind of movement that happens in the private or even like the startup sector, which I really love. So anyways, here are my choices, government, which I really didn't enjoy. And then this private sector management training programs, they're talking about how you can have the glorious, you know, acceleration to management where it brings you to like $65,000 a year. And I'm like, but here's this 20 year old. I'm thinking, I want to be a millionaire. I want to make a ton of money. This sounds boring and predictable. I want, I want the, the rocket ship. This doesn't make sense to me. So I left that job fair thinking like, what the hell? And my, my sister at the time worked for a real estate company said, listen, why don't you come give this a shot, shot and see what it's about me. My boss, he's like a really famous real estate agent. So met with him. And then I realized that I went four years in university to find myself in a job as a telemarketer. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, the, the, the glorious term is an inside sales agent. And quite frankly, like I was sold on the idea. They were saying, you get to control your income. You can work the hours you want. You're just on the phone. You have to leverage, you know, the, the realtors are the one that goes to close the deal. You just book appointments. Yeah. Yeah. Made sense to me, but my God, I got to say, Darren, that was one of the best internships for life. Cause you know, we, we have so much fear of rejection in sales and totally. working the phones. Oh my God. You like, you just built a different type of skin. Uh, that I think makes you navigate the rest of the world with a different mindset. So if I want to go to the origins of sales, I would say this was it. And I'd say it was the best thing that happened to me. Opened a bunch of doors, jumped into a bunch of different uh, areas in life after that. But that was kind of the kickoff. And as you say that, I'm thinking back on my own story. And we are kindred spirits because I started in sales in uh, telemarketing as well. <laughs> you know, Darren, I talked to a lot of successful people, you know telemarketing, phone sales, or some sort of hardcore sales role happens to be in the history of so many successful people today. Yeah. There's yeah. like, there's something that changes in your mindset that makes you realize that everything's within my grasp and I'm not afraid to pick up the phone and make that happen, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. And I'm not, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but are you looking back now and thinking that maybe at the time, four years of university, getting some sort of qualification and then ending up as a telemarketer was at the time not the greatest career move. But in retrospect, it's probably one of the best things you ever did. To be honest, it felt like a smart career move at the time. I mean, I oh, went I to university. Okay. I, like I was really happy, you know, having the university degree was really just like a, call it a, a boost to my passport. Cause you know, I've lived sure. across some different countries and, you know, having the university degree just made processes for like, for example, I, I was a resident in Malaysia and that just accelerates the process. So I'm definitely yeah. happy. I got it. If you want to work in a world of some sort of level of bureaucracy and some certain standards are recognized. Yeah. The university degree is great. Learned a ton of stuff in university. And matter of fact, I did a student exchange. So I don't know if you have any young listeners, but my God, if you are in school and you get a chance to go experience life in a different country, to realize how we're not that different around the world mm. is what I got out of it. Um, it just makes you realize that the world is a much smaller place and the opportunities, my God, you can get out of your little bubble and find some amazing opportunities around the world. So, Hey, I have a lot of love for the university and 
jumping in that sales role, like I was excited. I got a couple of people starting to work with me. We were making good money. And then I could see like, there was a large entrepreneurial spirit in the space. And that led into me like starting my own company, getting into a program to start buying us real estate. Uh, I got together with my friends. That was an adventure. Uh, we moved a ton of property, renovated it, put renters in place. So exciting time, awesome. a little traumatic as well. We learned from yeah. drinking from a fire hydrant, but um, <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, not too long after that, I found myself working in a personal growth uh, education company that did a lot of online marketing, this being Mind Valley as a company. Yeah. Yeah. Worked there for uh, seven years, still had a relationship, uh, still an author on their platform, but you know, worked together quite closely for nine years in total. And uh, to me, that was a way I could start really developing sales skills, seeing different ways you can sell different industries. And uh, yeah, I definitely have a passion for the personal growth field. And I think there's yeah. some wonderful stuff that happens there too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I often say to people, and particularly when you have a conversation and you mention the word sales, there's all these different connotations that come up. And a lot of it's dependent on, you know, people's upbringings, their perspectives and things like that. But I often say to people, even when they're not in a sales role, that you're also in sales. And just to watch people's uh, eyes change or look at you really weirdly to say, no, I'm not, I don't, I don't have to make money. I don't, I don't want to push anybody to do anything else. Uh, that they don't want to do, but they they don't understand that that sales is is influencing somebody, solving a problem, and helping somebody out. And in the process, you might get re- re- rewarded or remunerated for it. So with that, I love I love your take on this because when many people mention sales, they have this. Some people they have this like this uncontrollable twitch. <laughs> There's like like Tourette syndrome. <laughs> but why do you think that sales has? Uh, a potential bad reputation for a lot of people and and it happens. Why do you, why do you think that is? I mean, I think for a lot of people, when they think of themselves and what their relationship with sales is, if there's any negativity, you probably have an idea of where your source is, but I just want to piggyback on your comment. Cause I, one of the funniest thing that happens is these non-sales type, right? Like a business owner or someone that's more of like, call it a blue collar, get stuff done. And, um, You'll, you'll tell them and I'll, I'll tell them something similar to you, Darren. I'll be like, Hey, did you know we're all salespeople? Cause I also believe that. And they'll be like, no, I don't even sell. You know, when people come into my store, I'll just tell them what the product does. And then I'll tell, they'll, they'll make a decision to buy or not. And then I'll be like, well, thank you for describing your sales process to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Whether it's conscious or not, like if a sale gets made, you either decide to use a style that is very educational, which, you know, in the market today is quite beneficial. Um, and that's still a sales process. So listen, I, it's actually the first chapter of my book is why do you hate sales? Yeah. Right? If you're going to have a book on selling with love, you got to start with the other side of the sword, which is the hate. Right. And yeah. I think we just, we, if you have a passionate hate for sales, it's just because you actually really love sales and you're just not seeing it being done in the way that you'd expect it to be. Right. Wow. If, that's a different perspective. If you hate sales is like, you wish there was something, the world isn't at there and you actually care. Like you yeah. care, like you don't hate something and, and not be passionate about it. It's still on the side of passion. Right. So you're like, I just wish things would happen differently. And, yeah. you know, sales has evolved. Consumers have evolved and they have demanded more. And I think as sales professionals, we had to level up the level of professionalisms we have, but you know, you can't, you can't expect everybody sale to be absolutely beautiful. So we have negative connotations that still exist, whether it's from our past experiences with a bad salesperson. And again, because most people maybe find themselves in a sales roles by accident and don't have as much enthusiasm and passion to become good at it, then you'll, you'll have a lot of bad apples. 
in, in the field. There's, there's no barriers to entry. There's no certification you need. So yeah, that'll happen. The movie certainly does a good job because an entertaining <laughs> sleazy salesperson makes for a hell of a good movie. <laughs> it does. <laughs> but then it's like, great, you have an entertaining movie, but that's, and this is terrible to say, and I, I'm hoping I'm not offending anyone, but like looking at a movie for a movie about a slick, manipulative, sleazy salesperson as inspiration on how to become a salesperson is the equivalent of looking at adult entertainment and looking at that for education for your adult activities. That's right. G-rated as much as I can, but I think that gets the message across. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Because what was interesting about what you're just saying is, uh, if you if you dislike sales, or I mean, hate is a big word, isn't it? But if you let's just use it, if you hate sales the presupposition in there is that you actually do care about it. And maybe it's just something that you're either unfamiliar with, or you haven't had a good role model, or you haven't been taught the right way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You, that's exactly it. I think the role model piece is a big one, because again, if we're looking at these movies or we think of any bad sales experience, which we will emotionally be much more anchored to, to a, a good sales experience is often uneventful. So we don't remember yeah. it. It just went right. smoothly. Yeah. And so one thing I talk about for role models is realizing that the most influential people on the planet, the biggest role models you've ever looked up to are also salespeople. And mm -hmm. you can think about how you want to show up in sales. I think there's a permission that needs to be given to everyone to realize that the best selling style will be the one that's authentic to you. So you don't yeah. need to fit the blueprint of a slick salesperson with a, you know, a slick back hair and, uh, and talking fast. Matter of fact, if you look at the best of the best, it's not about talking fast. It's about listening well, genuinely caring, solving problems. It's very human. And I think not enough of that information trickles down to somebody who isn't interested in sales. So they don't get to witness what greatness looks like and what they could do to be like it. Yeah, absolutely. Or the models they have in front of them are perhaps those uh, stereotypical snake oil salesmen that they, that they see them driving a flash car, wearing a nice flash suit, wearing the bling and talking a good game. But underneath it, they're probably not genuine. They're not authentic. And so they say, well, I don't want to be like that. So therefore I'm going to avoid being in sales. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I talk about this um, when I talk about the different emotions that you can sell from. And there's a very tricky level in sales, which kind of works for the short term. And I, I call yeah. it the, the fear pride paradox. And this is when you sell, but you don't care or take responsibility for the sales you make. You learn the process, you close the deal, Whatever happens to the client, that's their problem. They're the one who listened to me and took action. None of that is my responsibility. And the commission checks come. And yeah. oftentimes the sales culture might even encourage that. And so you want to be careful about which sales culture you subscribe to. Um, and I find it very interesting that when you sell without that responsibility, um, there's often activities you will subscribe to, to distract yourself, numb mm -hmm. yourself, and often lead to some addictive behaviors because I think there's still an, like in my philosophy, there's always an energy exchange that happens in every sale. And if you are numbing yourself to the reality that you might be selling crap, you're going to find ways to compensate with that, which might be slightly toxic, might yeah. not be as sustainable. And uh, yeah, there's better thing. There's better ways to sell that doesn't need to come with those consequences. No, absolutely. And look, I'd love to delve into those emotions you talk about in your book, as well as the five-step framework you, you talk about or the five-step formula. What you're just saying there, though, was really intriguing. And I just remember, I this is, oh, this is going back probably 10, 12 years. I bought a new car. And when I was looking for that new car, 
and you allocate sales and new cars or sales and used cars and you have this sort of connotation in your mind about what the salesperson's like. And I was dealing, I bought a Volkswagen. I bought a Volkswagen Passat and went through a process. I was looking at other cars as well. I looked at the new Mercedes and, and a BMW and stuff like that. Passat was the choice. But the salesperson leading up to the sale was phenomenal. It, it, they had all the right activities in place. Contact was regular. They seemed to be showing a level of empathy and thought towards me. They seemed genuinely interested in me and what I was looking for. But a funny thing happened, Jason. As soon as the contract was signed, crickets. Oh, wow. Crickets. Because what had happened, he, he'd moved on to the next sale. So I started to think, wow, I was just another number for him. Mm. And at the, time, at the time, I was a sales leader in a large organization. And I was trying to get my sales team to think about and contemplate this philosophy that the sale actually doesn't start until after the sale is made, which means your customer is not a means to an end. Your customer is a partner that you can continue to add value to and they will reward you long-term, right? Yeah. And this guy, gone. And I saw, I saw him once three years later and I was passing through his dealership when I was getting my car serviced and he didn't even recognize me. Hmm. So when yeah. people have this, this thought process around salespeople, that's what I sometimes see, even having been in the industry for so long. Yeah, it's it's very interesting, right? So to me, that's like a, a failure in your process, right? Mm. Like if they they had all of their processes looking really good up to the point of purchase, but now I feel bad for the salesperson because now they have to work harder because every single person that walks in is a new lead and they have to work that lead through that process. And they're putting a lot of work, it seems, to nurture mm. that relationship, do the follow-up. When if only they took 20% of their effort and put it into maintaining the relationship with the person they've already sold to, they would start getting more referrals. They would get repeat purchase. You would start telling your friends to go buy at Volkswagens, but now you probably don't. And you, you there's some books, um, and I don't remember which book speaks about this, but there's always a story of some American used car sales guy uh, that's like the best in the country. And he like, and I, I'm, I'm a, I feel bad because I can't remember his name, but I've read it. I feel like in three different books, the story of the most famous car dealer salesperson had handwritten notes after every purchase would remember the birthdays, make a call on another birthday. And like his sales volume was incredible. And yeah. that was just some shift of your energy towards the sales process to the process after the sale. And I think that's, that's the gap that most people forget about. Yeah. And I think, and part of it, I'd love your perspective on this. I think part of it also is the way that the salespeople are incentivized and how they're conditioned to look for that next sale. It's all about the new incremental brand or the new incremental revenue, not necessarily the investment into an existing customer, which may actually pay dividends in terms of referrals, in terms of repeat business. Um, yeah. So they're always looking for the next, the next check. Why? Because a lot of organizations are giving these targets. So you've got to hit the new business quota. We're not going to remunerate you. We're not going to give you a big incentive to re-sign or to keep a customer because we need new revenue. So is it any wonder that you know, salespeople out there are so conditioned to behave in many cases the way they do? Yeah. Well, we talked a lot about um, like sales culture that and sales compensation plans will affect 
performance. Like mm -hmm. you will behave based on how clear you are on how to win the game. And I think that's mm -hmm. one trait that I can appreciate from great salespeople is like, tell me the rules of the game and then I'll play to maximize the returns. Right. I don't know how that dealership was structured, but if once an account was closed, that that account belongs to the dealership, not the salesperson, mm -hmm. then I would understand why they would completely abandon. I would say it's a very bad policy, obviously. 100%. Um, but then I think it's very interesting for sales managers and com companies to really look at how do you turn your independent salespeople, not to be people that are just churning volume, but how do you have them acting as little businesses that are building assets? Because every closed client is a new asset that can create dividends over the long term. So there's an education gap, you know, yeah. we don't yeah. talk about this, but for someone who builds their client list, maintains that asset and that appreciates over time brings in new revenue because of referrals. Like you have to be educated to operate, not as a salesperson, but as a small business owner and your asset are those relationships. And I 100%. think when you have that longer term perspective, we also need to, like, if you read enough about sales and you hear about these case studies, you start realizing like, oh yeah, the gold is that I don't need to be prospecting once I've built this empire of assets with people I have great relationships. I decided to put the time, not in just acquiring new business, but maintaining existing relationships and Look at that. It starts paying mm -hmm. back. There you go. It's funny how the world works. Yeah. And it's, it's like we instinctively know it, right? Like, I don't think any person listening to this is going like, no, I could never imagine investing in an existing relationship. Like, I feel like every business book talks about like your, your existing customers are your number one source of ask for referral. Like, this is not new stuff, but you know, no, we got to be reminded no. once in a while because we get in the busyness of it, you know? Oh, we do. And sometimes we just think, and maybe it's just, again, the conditioning that we find ourselves in uh, we've got to get that new label. We've got to expand our business. But when you look at it and there's so much research to support this, it costs five or six times as much to bring on a new client than it does to keep an existing one. So why would you, when you've got somebody who likes what you do, you've added value, you've built a relationship to the point where maybe you are trusted. Why would you that discard? Why would you discard that and then go out and almost dismiss them or ignore them in, in sight of in line for a new a new customer to bring on it just it just defies logic you know and it's it's the same as uh oh my god what was it i think it's babylon b are you familiar with that satire uh, yep. right wing news yeah they had this uh i find this funny and don't worry it does connect to this story they had this post which was like psychologists discover this new man with a very weird fetish and his fetish is that this man desires only one person, a woman, and wants to spend the rest of his life with her. And they want to have children together. What an odd type of person to exist, right? So obviously filled with satire. But the reason I make that parallel is because I think in the culture, you know, you even look in the dating world everyone's like tindered up, like it's swipe, swipe, swipe. There's more, there's more activities to be done in yeah. uh, just trying to find a new match, a new prospect to find potential mates, whatever your objective is in the dating. But there's almost like a, Oh, I can just go out and try to find something new, something new. And we've been conditioned to always chase that social media is out. There's tons of leads. I could be prospecting to hunt. I could set up automation tools to blast lists of thousands of people. And I might generate more business there. But when you take a step back, and you look at the data, focusing on the existing customers, nurturing those relationships, you know, keep watering the grass where you've already planted the seeds. All those things are where you should be putting your attention. And I think we need to kind of dial it down and focus back on the basics. And it brings more happiness, more steady revenue, and uh, probably a lot more happiness as well. Absolutely. And if you get that, hey, it's contentment, it's fulfillment, it's satisfaction. Yeah. So let me ask you this question, Jason. 
uh, having been in sales for for many many years now what is it that you absolutely love is there is there one thing you love about sales i love being um there's this this state call it a flow state you get into it's a very selfish thing i'll be very honest here darren <laughs> but there's this like buzz that I get when I'm in a sales conversation, right? Like when I get in flow for sales and it's so fun, like yeah. it's this contagious, enthusiastic state that I get into when I know I got a great product, I'm talking to the right person and I'm just like dancing on the phones or on a video call or in person. And the person's like being infected with my enthusiasm and I have faith and I'm willing to take a risk of saying, you know what? based on what I understand of this person, based on what I know about this product, I'm going to sell it so intensely because they're going to be in a better future once they have this, or at least I know enough about everything from the product, the person and everything else that I'm willing to take that chance. And I know my company has the policies in place that whatever happens that maybe I didn't nail it as much as I thought that they would still have a way to possibly get a refund, be adjusted. But I, when you go forward in sales with all those fundamentals, then you're just in a state of flow. And I love it. Like just dialing, talking, and then closing and then dancing after sales. It's so fun. It's such a fun game. Uh, so I don't know if that answers your question directly, but it's just getting in that flow. Well, it's, it's an interesting one because it, what that says to me is that it's infectious. So if mm. you actually... If you actually believe, and you, you've look, you've got to believe in your product. Now, I know there are people out there, and there are companies out there that believe they've got the best product in the marketplace. But I also say to people that it's not necessarily the product that your customer's looking for. They, they really are not interested in that. What they're looking for is, can you solve a problem that I either have or I might have, having had a conversation with you? And what they'll end up buying is you. So if you if you believe in yourself, if you believe in what you've got to offer may help, not guaranteed will help, but may help, then it makes it a lot easier. I'd also be interested in your take on this because I often hear people say, I'm sort of a subscriber to this, the importance of removing yourself from the outcome. So removing yourself from need of having to get a sale, right? But does that, is that, does that resonate with you? And if, if it does, what's your take on that in terms of being able to remove yourself from the pressure of having to get an outcome? Well, um, I think it was Walter McKay. It was another podcast I was on, uh, Walter McKay. And he asked me a question because uh, I talk about selling with love, right? Yeah. And he phrased it differently, but it makes the same point. He said, can you be needy and sell with love at the same time? And so when you talk about being attached to the outcome, it's attached to the outcome for yourself yeah. versus attached to the outcome for the client, right? If you're attached to the outcome because you need that commission check or you need that performance quota, whatever it is that is very focused on you might make you act and come across with a vibe that shows that your interests come first, right? But I do think you should have attachment to the outcome of what happens to the client. I was bringing somebody on my show, his name, Eric Edmeads, and I think he said it beautifully. He talks, uh, he has a health program that helps people lose a ton of weight, get healthier, you know, get rid of diabetes, all that kind of stuff. And for him, he's attached to the outcome because if the person doesn't buy, then the chances of them getting all these negative health effects increases dramatically. And he feels a disappointment in himself because that person's future doesn't get changed with the fact that if they would have taken action based on how you structure the process, which uh, is, is something I speak a lot in my book, which is the sales processes, scripts, and all the techniques we use to close are not about manipulation. Mm. They're about empathy. 
And when you care about the outcome that the person will have, because from what you know, the problems they have, that the product you will support them with will drastically change their outcomes to for the better, then yeah, I'm attached to the outcome. And that is what pushes me to be pushy, but in a loving way, the same way that yeah. you'll kick your friend's butt to go to the gym because yeah. you know it's good for them. That's where I have some attachment to the outcome. Now that's a good, it's a good answer. And I think that resonates because if you actually make it about yourself and thinking about the nice fat juicy commission check you're going to get at the end of the transaction, then energetically that's going to come across. And 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 I'm sure the same thing in Bali and in Canada as in Australia, people's bullshit meters are pretty good, right? So they know when you're trying to try one on. So let's make it, let's make the sales process a, a one filled with integrity and character. And if you genuinely care, then a natural consequence of that conversation in most cases will be a transaction, yeah. which is cool. It is cool. Although we have to recognize, and I don't know if this is the right term, but it feels cool to say, so I'm going to drop it. There's like these black swan salespeople and those are psychopath, narcissistic, crazy, like manipulative, <laughs> like, right. Cause let's, let's not deny the fact that there's some people like, and there's so many movies about it. Now you can watch yeah. something like the Tinder swindler or, um, uh, the, there's always these stories about these salespeople that are super slick. You feel like they got your best interest at heart, but they're just the slimiest non-empathetic yeah. psychopaths, right? Do they exist? Yes. And that's why there's always a process of due diligence I suggest for buyers. And like, you know, one of the big missions I have is I, I want to teach people to sell with love, not just to help the salespeople, but I want to teach people to buy with love as well. And I think that, you know, you have a duty as a buyer to also expect more from the salespeople check when you have a gut feeling that feels off, which sometimes yeah. you get disarmed by these, these salespeople that are extremely slick. They almost get you to a point that you stop trusting yourself. And I don't think yeah. that's a good tool to have. Um, and I think the internet has helped us at least level the playing field that, you know, if it's, if it sounds, uh, if it sounds fishy, it smells fishies and it looks fishy. It's probably a fish. It probably <laughs> is. <laughs> probably is absolutely absolutely and look as as you make the great point it's people are a lot more educated now as well so buyers whether it be consumers small businesses or corporates they're actually more educated in terms of what's available out there and the other thing which points to integrity is people are going to do their research on you as well so mm -hmm. if you've got any sort of profile anywhere on the internet they're going to check you out before they have a conversation with you and in the space that I'm operating in business to business in corporate, it's it's very often that organizations will already have made some form of decision about engaging either you or your organization before they actually engage you or your organization because they've done their due diligence up ahead of time, which is, is fascinating. This, uh, there's, there's a saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, I forget where I hear it, but it's like the three reasons somebody won't buy is like they don't think the product will bring you the results that they're looking for. They don't like the company. Uh, that's actually providing the service or they don't like you as a salesperson, right? And we have the ability to check all three with the zero moment of truth, which is mm -hmm. we will Google everything. We will Google you. We will Google the product. We will Google the company. And yeah. I think that's a beautiful thing because it just makes us level up, take our standards up, and now we become more professional in the way we sell. 100%. And when that happens, guess what? We get uh, a much better reputation uh, getting created around sales and salespeople yep. and sales organizations. So yep. before we jump in, I want to—I do want to talk about your book and also your five five-step formula. I'm mm. also interested in your take on this as well. In terms of, because many people say, and I operate in leadership as well, and they say, "Well, you know, leaders are born, or our leaders made." 
And I think, well, actually, everybody's born. So yes, leaders, whether they're made leaders or born leaders, they are all born. So let's just put that to the side. <laughs> when you, when based on all the work you've done in your experience, and we're talking about sales people, do you think there are certain characteristics of certain people that are more naturally geared around sales? Or is this something that can be taught? You know, I, I often equate sales to public speaking. Uh, and the reason I do that is because public speaking is kind of this universally accepted fear that most people have. Uh, and it becomes very obvious. And a lot of us just completely reject it. And when I hear stories of these public speakers, they, they always have that one story about how they were terrible at public speaking and then they became better. And now they're an international speaker and they're amazing. I know this because I've seen so many speakers and I have that story as well. Obviously mm. we all have a similar story. And so then I started thinking, wow, I wonder is because everyone who's great at speaking builds a story or is it because for everyone to become a good speaker, they need to just overcome certain fears and practice certain things to become better at it? And I like to think the second. Mm. And I make that parallel because I think in sales, a lot of people might discredit themselves as being good at sales because they won't get over the fears and they won't realize that just like anything else, you have to develop those skills. You have to learn, you have to train. So I do think everybody has it in them to become great at sales. Very, very easy. Just like everybody has it in them to become good at accounting. But some people have a bit more enjoyment doing it than others. Oh, I was going to say that. If counting rocks your boat, go for it. Yeah. I th <laughs> Listen, I could be, I am amazing at bookkeeping. I'm not going to lie. I am great with spreadsheets. I organize that stuff gangsta. But, but do I enjoy it? Can I do it reliably, consistently with a passion? No. And that's why I went to hire a bookkeeper. And she loves looking at these books and making them all organized. Fantastic. So, when it comes to sales, one thing I will say is sales ends up being one of the highest income per hour positions for you to replace within your organization. So speaking more to business owners is that sales will be one of the last things you'll want to replace because it costs so much. And when you get to do it as a business owner, it helps you make the sales of your product, hire the right people in your organization, raise the funds necessary, bring partners on board, like every single activity in your business will require a level of sales. And so I think at that point, whether you like it or not, you it's one of the most indispensable skills you can develop. And so I encourage people that if you don't like it yet, you know, I really don't like dancing, but it's not because I don't like dancing. It's because I like being good at things that I do and I'm not good at dancing. <laughs> and I think for sales, People might need to just realize that, well, if I realize how important it is to be good at it, maybe I can learn it. And when I learn it, I get good at it. I might actually like it. Absolutely. And let's, let's think about this. You might actually get to love it. Oh, yeah. How good that be? Because <laughs> when you think about it, and I, and I do this all the time, I'll say to people, and I, and I did this session yesterday, I was helping a group of people with facilitation skills. These guys were facilitators. They were very nervous. They hadn't done a lot of facilitation. So I ran a day for them to help them with their facilitation skills. So I was facilitating a group of facilitators on how to facilitate and at the same time facilitating. <laughs> That's right. Whoa. So I said, okay, <laughs> let me just teach you this. And now what have I just done? And let's just unpack it. But I said, everybody starts somewhere. And so that's the thing. In order to get good at something, you've got to start somewhere. And where you're starting is where you start, as long yeah. as you take one step and get the right role models around you as well. So, yeah. um, hey, let me let me just let's just delve into your your book. I love the title: "Selling with Love: Earn with Integrity and Expand Your Impact." Mm. Now, 
there's four levels of emotions in sales that you talk about, but I'm also curious to know a little bit more about the five-step formula to selling with love. Um, yeah. I'll keep the emotion stuff pretty simple. I already talked about the fear pride paradox, which is when you sell without caring and you just love the process of selling. Um, but just to keep it simple for everyone is I think there's major two categories is you're either selling with love or you're selling from fear and mm. the fear can manifest in different ways. But what I'd want to encourage everyone to understand is selling with love in essence is knowing to the best of your abilities that what you offer is so much more than what you ask in return. And uh, that's what I call selling with love. So now you're like, wow, this product solves your problem. You're the right person. All of it is amazing. And it has a positive impact on the planet. You become unstoppable as a salesperson. Yeah. But uh, I want to do something a little different because I'm having fun on your show, Darren. And usually I go through the five <laughs> loves in a certain order, but I'm going to start with the one that I think we've already been touching a bit on, which is uh, one of them is actually self-love. So it's actually five loves in selling that I talk about. The okay. last one is actually self-love. And yeah. um, I want to start with it there because that's a lot of what we've been talking about, you know, like getting over the fear of rejection, uh, getting over these like mental concepts around like, why do we associate sales with so much negativity and realizing that maybe, maybe we could like sales if you get a bit better at it. And then maybe we can fall in love with sales. Um, and what you touched on, which I, I want to bring back and acknowledge as well is like, understanding that where you're at is perfectly fine. Like if you're a facilitator, a salesperson, public speaker, you're going to have a growth journey and wherever you're at now is good. It's enough. It's your best for now. And then just keep walking the path and you get better over time and that's okay. Um, so a big portion of that last one is just putting in place the habits to keep your emotions up, understanding that whatever journey you're at, you can still grow into it. And I think it's a powerful aspect of being a salesperson is emotional management. And so the self-love aspect becomes pretty important. Absolutely. And I was actually talking to someone yesterday, um, actually on Monday, but the podcast went live today. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, this, this sounds very similar. Uh, he was talking about being kind to yourself. So um, thinking about, well, you, you will go through some troughs, you will go through some challenges, but how you treat yourself and how you speak to yourself and how you consider yourself through that process will go a long way to determining what happens next and what steps you then take, whether you're going to stay the game or stay the course or whether you're going to give up or whether you're going to look for something else to do, thinking that that something else is going to be the answer to all your challenges and all your problems, right? <laughs> <laughs> the shiny object chase syndrome. Oh, um, man. Isn't that yeah. life around the world? Just look at every yeah. social media <laughs> platform. Um, but yeah, I definitely do resonate with what they're sharing. And um, and then the way I actually describe it is actually being inspired by another book I really like called The Four Agreements. Uh, and that's by Don Miguel Ruiz. And, um, and they say about one of the agreements you should recognize is that you always do your best. And that's, again, an expression of being kind to yourself and saying like, yeah. hey, if you made that call, you had a shaky voice and uh, the person didn't buy and you were sweating and that was really hard. That was your best for that day. So be kind and realize yeah. that you're just going to be on a journey and improve along the way. That's it. That's it. Love it. Love it. I was going to say, bless you. <laughs> I <laughs> held that one on back. I, I hit the mute button. Went on mute. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. So uh, self, self love. So what are the, what are the other four components yeah. The, now uh, that we got the, the 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 fluffy personal growth one out of the way, almost <laughs> let's let's bring back well, all our salespeople and get into it. You know, <laughs> well, and for those salespeople and sales leaders listening to this right now and thinking, oh, that's just soft, you know, fluffy stuff. <laughs> that's 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 essential. It is yeah. essential, and never ever overlook it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So 
we got that done. So we know it. It's important. <laughs> I usually save it for last, but now we're going to go into what the rest of the formula is. So usually when I introduce this, I talk about uh, the five loves, which are love the impact, love the client, love the product and love the process. And I do it usually in this order and there is importance to the order. So the first thing you want to fall in love with is the problems you solve, right? And what are the problems you solve for the client? What are the problems you solve for the world as an, as, as you exist as a salesperson within an organization, like your, your organization is going to thrive, sell a lot more. What's the net net on every activity you do and be clear on that. And then what's the impact for yourself being in this position? Like, do, do you want to make money? Do you want freedom? Do you want to be able to do something you like that aligns with your values? All that is gold. And the more clarity you get on both the client, triple on the client, the world and yourself, the more you can show up with a powerful why of your selling. And the, the why for the client ends up being very powerful for benefits for the client. The why for the world ends up being very powerful for the marketing of your business and the alignment with the corporate company um, for, for the, um, uh, for the reason the person should buy and the why for you ends up being your own personal incentives and not having any shame about that. Cause yeah. if you're selling great products, solving people's problems, um, you should be compensated for that. And we need people doing that and being well compensated for doing good in the world. So that's how you handle the first love is getting clear on that. Why? Mm -hmm. Love it. Love it. Um, you also mentioned loving the process. Mm. So by the way, this was all the first, there was, that was all the first love, man. That was just, wow, impact. that was the first love. That's just all imp impact. Cause that's just all impact. So listen, I'll, I'll give you the cheat code here. Cause in my book, I call it <laughs> love, love, love the impact, love the client, love the product, love the process. It's love the, Love the why, love the who, love the yeah. what, and love the how. Yeah. And so when we talk about people that are manipulative and don't care about the results, you're just in love with the how, the process, mm -hmm. loving the process of selling. And let's be clear. If you learn the process of selling, you become a powerful person. Like You get to understand influence. You can move mountains. And it's a skill that is quite impressive to have. And so if you don't do the first three loves, then you can find yourself in a bad organization doing bad things and not realizing that you're using your powers to be a Jedi Knight as opposed to a Sith Lord, right? So we put some <laughs> Star Wars lores into here. Let's go. Um, so then you answer the why first, which is love the impact. Then the second one is the who. And, and yeah. we talked about this throughout the interview, which is, you know, find the people that you solve their problems and the product might need to change. That's not what you should love first. And so the who is like, who do we specifically serve? How much do we know about them? Do we care about them? Do we ask them questions? Do we listen to them? So we fully understand their situation so we can actually go in and solve their problems. Right. Yeah. So yeah. you fall in love with the who, and then you see if there's a match and Hey, this is why sometimes you'll have conversations with people and then you're like, oh, well, you know, looking at your current finances, like somebody walks in, wants to buy that Mercedes, they're making, you know, 30,000 a year and they're like in debt over their eyeballs. And you're just like, hey, listen, it sounds like you have some dreams of ordering a Mercedes, but I don't think you should be buying a Mercedes. I think you should get your life together, but come and yeah. see me when you're ready. And I wish you the best, like have love and empathy, even if they're not a match to your client avatar. Yeah, And then I'm, from I'm that, serious. it lets you empathetically push away the people you don't want to do business with and still have some love for them, but then put all of your focus and energy and time into serving the people who truly are going to get so much more value than what you ask in return because of who they are. Because that's yeah. what's going to affect the real value is who are you selling to? Mm. I mean, sell a Roly to someone making 2 million a year or sell a Roly to someone making 50,000 a year are two very different value propositions. 
Absolutely. And the perception of the value of that will be completely different based on those two different people as well. Exactly. So you can't be tied to the product. Um, but it is the third love. You do want to love the product. And, uh, you know, when you know the impact you want to make and you know the people you want to serve, then you can design a product that is perfect for them. And uh, depending on which position you are, as you listen to this, maybe a sales leader, sales individual, or a company owner. But if you have some room over the product, uh, you know, you want to make sure the product is amazing. And if you want your salespeople to sell more, know that your product is perfect for the people they're reaching out to. And then you'll see your sales number really get beautiful. No one will hesitate. Remind people how amazing this product is. Get stories of customers who have taken action, purchased it, and are so happy. Make sure these stories get to the ears of your salespeople because we need to be reminded as salespeople. We have short attention spans sometimes and we need constant so reminders. We're on like emotional ups and downs. And if every morning we start, we're like, hey, listen, Darren bought the program, fantastic results, making a ton of money. So when you get on the phone today, you can tell people about Darren's story and we want to create more Darrens in the world. So let's go. Yeah. And then you're like, oh yeah, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, so those are the first three, uh, impact, client, and product. And then finally, fall in love with the process of selling. And I think I've said it before, and I'll say it again. When you have those first three loves in place and you start learning the process of selling, the scripts, the, 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 the influence triggers, the, the, the ways you can design your, your conversation, your stages, your follow-up procedures after they buy, all that stuff are processes of sales, not to manipulate, but it's to have empathy. And that is because you know the value you want to give to them. You have to speak the language that they will understand that value as well. So you can go out there and study everything about sales, knowing that you are trying to be more empathetic to the people you want to serve. I've got to say, when you do that, and like most things, and I hope this doesn't sound disrespectful because it's not intended to, to be like that. Like most things, <laughs> as, he, as he's changed his physiology, it's, this is not rocket science. It's common sense. It's common sense. And often the common things, well, first of all, they're not common, right? It might be common sense, but it's not that common. But sometimes the easier things to do or the obvious things to do are also the things that are easy not to do. So we can sometimes overcomplicate things. So, and I just look at some of the markets that I operate in and some of the businesses that operate in terms of their process. It's a really, really complicated process. Customers don't understand partners don't understand sometimes the salespeople don't understand if we can remove all of the barriers and make it really really simple but as you say focus on why we're doing this what it is that we're doing it who are we focusing on and follow it up and have it supported by a regimented process that's easier to follow then hey this might sound like a cliche and maybe it is selling could become and should become easy right should become fun too and, and absolutely. Uh, i have taken no offense there and my book was actually designed <laughs> to be as simple as it can be. I'm trying to give a Trojan horse for people to start liking sales. Like my, my thing is, I think there's a lot more ethical business owners that are trying to do good in the world that resist sales. And that opens up the, the possibility for less ethical business people to use the process of selling and scam people. And like, I have a bit of a mission statement. My impact for the world is if I can teach more ethical businesses to sell well, there'll be less douchebag salespeople and marketers that'll exist in the marketplace. Because there just won't be a market for it because the right Absolutely. people are going to use the right techniques to get attention, earn trust, and just make these value propositions, which are basically offering so much more than what you ask in return. Now, guess what? We're growing as economies. We're being more efficient. We're doing beautiful things, solving problems. And hey, we have a lot of problems to solve in the world. Let's try to do it one sale at a time. Absolutely. And it's a... um. 
it's a great it's a great comment you make there because from a leadership point of view and certainly my one of my key philosophies around leadership is servant leadership which is all based around how do i give how do i give more that i'm potentially going to receive in return but i'm going to give not with any expectation of anything in return i'm going to give because it's the right thing to do and so when you're thinking about building a product or having a service and, and putting it out there into the marketplace it's all about what this can do for others not necessarily what you can get from others now if you actually have that philosophy I think from my perspective, it makes it easier to sell with love because empathy then becomes a more natural uh, process. And what you'll probably find when you do that is that level of authenticity will come across and people start to believe in you more as long as you remember that sales doesn't start until after the sale is made. So you've got to maintain those relationships, but it'll come back and you will, you will be always taken care of. And I say this all the time to sales leaders and their teams, just keep giving, giving value as you say, give more than what the product is worth in terms of what you what you give and you will get so many things in return. You don't. It may not necessarily come from the person or the organization that you gave it to, but it'll come back to you. Yeah. There's a conversation I had and I thought it was beautiful about the power of language in sales. And one of the languages choice they made in their organization is that they do not close sales anymore. They open relationships. And I think wow. that's an interesting thing to put on your sales pipeline is instead of deal closed, it's deal opened or account opened. And that's I it. think already you start realizing, wow, I didn't just finish this. I started this. Yeah. Uh, and that's powerful. It is. It's very, and it, it, it makes perfect sense because that's the start of the relationship. It's not the end of the relationship, which means I have to continue to stay involved with that client, with that customer, with that individual. That's right. Then we have a lot more people in Australia driving some Volkswagens, but now, alas, we don't because that That's guy right. ain't doing repeat. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. He's uh, he's probably gone back to being a telemarketer some way. <laughs> hey, no, no, no bash on telemarketer. I love that stuff. As a matter of fact, you know what? One of the more exciting things happening right now is um, I'm, I'm working with an organization that builds uh, inside sales teams, so a phone sales team. And as I'm in the process of auditing them and working with them for a sort of certification program to make sure they are applying selling with love principles in every sale they make, I'm putting myself back on the phones and doing a few of their closing. And I'm just like, you know, you were asking me about the favorite part of the sale. Just being in the trenches is so much fun. So I'm getting back on the phone. I'm going to do a couple Man. and it's just, it keeps back you sharp. It keeps it fun. Absolutely. And especially when you've got people watching you do that. Hey, let me let me show you how it's done. <laughs> well, we'll see. Maybe I'm rusty because I've been doing no, more no pressure, mate. talks, writing <laughs> books instead of hitting the phone. So I got to stay up to date, you know. <laughs> hey, there's nothing. There's nothing like getting put into the uh, into the hot seat, right? Whether it's in sales or sometimes what I do is I'll have a facilitation I'm doing and I'll have people at the back who are either reviewing or they're watching, they're taking notes and then providing feedback. Uh, talk about being in the hot seat. That's, it's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. Good yeah. stuff. So um, as we wrap up, I'm, I am conscious of time. You got other things on as well. Uh, for people that are listening to this right now, uh, who might be new to sales or new to sales leadership, and they're trying to look for, I guess, and I'm not sure whether it's the, the elixir or the secret, uh, when people are asking you, hey, if there's one piece of advice you would give people in sales right now, particularly in 2022, uh, what would it be? Yeah, I go back to my definition, right? Uh, and I love quoting myself, not because I'm narcissistic. <laughs> uh, 
It's just convenient. Um, but in my book, I talk about the definition of sales. And I think that shifts your mindset. And I say, selling is nothing more than an energy exchange between conscious beings. And when you know what you offer is so much more than what you ask in return, the emotion of love is what balances the equation. Yeah. So I always like reminding people of that, that all you're doing is exchanging energy. We don't need to have anxiety, stress about it. And if you can have this one motto, which is not understanding that when you go know that what they're going to get is so much more than what you're asking them to pay, then it's a beautiful thing to sell it because you're all basically just trying to bridge the gap for them to understand where you're coming from. And you're trying to come from a place of asking, actually solving their problems for them for cheaper than they would have to solve it themselves. So yeah. go out there, sell, it'll be fun. People will be happy. You'll have smiles around you and you'll live a fulfilling life. Amazing things are going to happen. Amazing things are going to happen. So win, win, win. Mate, absolutely. The win, win, win. Jason, absolutely fantastic to have you on the podcast. Uh, before we wrap up, where can people find out more about you? Where can they connect with you? What's the best well, way to people get in contact? Darren, I would assume a group of salespeople would know how to find <laughs> someone on the internet. Just Google? But yeah, just Google me. That's why I added the whole Mark middle name is so that when you Google me, there's only one bloke that'll show up. Um, but here's what I would suggest is uh, for people on LinkedIn, if you connect with me, Jason Mark Campbell, and uh, obviously you add a note when you connect with me. So I know that well, you're coming in from this podcast. Um, I, I have this... Uh, I have this five day challenge, uh, which basically gets people to answer these five loves that we went over. Um, I usually sell this for like 500 bucks, but anybody who writes to me on LinkedIn, I'll give it to them for free. So yeah, cool. um, awesome. if I can get some more salespeople to kind of embrace this love, uh, I get to work on my mission with less douchebags in the world. Love it. Love it. So all I have to do is connect with you, send you a personalized message and uh, off we go. Off you go. Just tell me you heard me on this podcast and uh, I'll make sure to make the magic happen. So you get some freebies, baby. <laughs> gotta love something for free but it is worth a lot more than what you pay for whole value five hundred dollars but if you are a successful salesperson and you apply these principles an increase of ten percent in your annual sales revenue could be worth more for you and so do not miss this opportunity limited time only i'll see you on linkedin <laughs> love it what a perfect way to end the podcast jason mark campbell thank you so much for joining us on the exceptional sales leader podcast and I love to do this again. I love to uh, have another conversation. Always a fun chat with you. I know we've been scheduling this one for a while and I'm so happy we reconnected and made this happen. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, mate. Thanks again. We'll talk soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.